the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Alright, welcome back to the Kick to Kick podcast. Charlie, we're focusing on 1974. We certainly are. Here are some highlights that we're going to hear about this episode. Uh, the Hawks have got a new home. Magpie Hero returns. There's a big uh, incident at Windy Hill and the Roos are absolutely stacked this season. Okay. Well, yes. Well, we knew that was coming, didn't we? We did, but even, even more so. Yeah. Interesting, uh, also, since we last recorded, there's been a bit more in the news about uh, Punt Road. Oh, yeah. Redeveloping Punt Road. And it's interesting, like, we've been talking about that a bit and saying they couldn't do it because the, the ground couldn't come any, you know, they, they had no space. It. Yeah. But now, you know, it's only taken 50-something years and they're, oh, they're least, getting there at least. Some, yeah. yeah. So there we go. So give us a reminder where, you know, who have we talked about who so far? Who have we talked about so far? All right. So we've talked about the teams that haven't made finals from the bottom. Uh, the Wooden Spoon this, this year going to the Demons. We had Fitzroy in 11th, St Kilda 10, South Melbourne 9, Essendon 8, Carlton in 7th, and Geelong just missing out uh, in 6th. Fantastic. And now we're talking about the teams who... And there's a bit of daylight between the finalists and the non-finalists here. So yeah. these are definitely the uh, the stars of the show. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's get stuck into it. Let's do it. So our first finalist in fifth spot is Footscray with 13 wins, one draw and eight losses and a percentage of 108.8. So this year, co- uh, captained by Laurie Sandilands and coached by Bob Rose. Fantastic. All right. So some debutants they've got is Ray Huppets, Ted Witten Jr. Uh, and Kelvin Templeton. Can you tell us a little bit about Kelvin? I would love to. So Kelvin Templeton, uh, at 16 years of age, he kicked 100 goals for Taralgon in the 73 Latrobe Valley, Valley football season. So the year before. So he's been picked up with by Footscray at 17 uh, within whose country zone Taralgon was located. And... Uh, he joined the club yeah. after that. Yeah. Great. Not surprising. All right. So, uh, round one was a scrambly, windy game against the Cats, but it was the Dogs who emerged the victor in the last quarter, kicking six goals to two. Gary Dempsey, Peter Welsh, and Ian Salmon took it right up to new Cats captain Sam Newman. Dogs winning that by 45. Um, they then struggled with two losses. In their round three loss to the Pies, Kelvin Templeton did impress with six goals, three on debut. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Mm. Footscray with a more accurate team against uh, the Swans at Witten Oval with nine shots each at half time. <coughs> oh, excuse me. The Dogs led 7 2 to 2 7 and ran out 45 point winners. Uh, Bobby Rose labelled the Dogs round five win over Hawthorne as their most impressive win in the three years he had been there. Yeah, well, it, Hawthorne, a huge powerhouse at this stage. Yeah. Still, obviously. It was an impressive win as the Hawks led by 18 points midway through the third. But the Dogs hit back. They piled on 5-9 in the last quarter. Four from Laurie Sandilands. The Dogs winning by 23. Uh, round six against the Bombers. Peter Welsh kicked 5-5 and Kevin Templeton had another ripper with four. As the Dogs put away the Dons with seven goals to two in the last quarter to win by 50. Um, they beat the Lions in a what was a terrible first half. They kicked two goals, ten in the first half, but were lucky to bounce back. Um, they turned a three-point halftime, a three-quarter time deficit into a twenty-seven point win. 
A week later, in round nine, they inflicted the Demons' 17th straight loss, beating them by 38 points. Leading into the round 10 game against St Kilda at Moorabbin, they were given a $500 incentive to, uh, to beat the Saints, but they didn't need the motivation because their spirit and enthusiasm guided them to a 13-point win, their okay. first ever at Moorabbin. Oh, nice. They then faced a six-game lo- uh, losing streak. So they, they, they'd ridden a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They, they'd ridden seven non-losses in a row because there was a draw in there. Draw, yep. But now they've, they've hit a bit of a snag where they've lost six straight. And it wasn't until round 17 that the team effort was needed to shake off and beat the Bombers. Uh, they only held a 10-point lead at the last break and were kicking against the wind in the last quarter, but the Bombers fell in a heap and the Dogs got up by 29. They blundered their way to a win at Junction Oval over the Lions. Uh, they'd beat a disappointing Carlton at Witten Oval by 24 points, mainly thanks to their accuracy. The Blues scored four goals, 20 for the match, which was their lowest score since 1955. The Dogs kicked 10 goals, 8. Um, this was also Stuart McGee's 200th game. Now, Stuart McGee was born in Belfast, so he would later dispute Jim Stein's claim to be the first Irishman in the 200 games. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Against the Demons at the MCG in round 20, the Dogs kicked five goals in the first five minutes to shut out any chance of the Demons gaining early confidence. Bob Rose had asked uh, his side for a percentage booster, and they gave him that. They uh, added five percentage points with an 84-point win. Cool. Uh, against the Saints, the Dogs, with guts and determination, came from five goals down. Dempsey moving to full forward in the third was the thing that turned the game around. Um, the, day, the Saints were held to only one second half goal, the Dogs holding on to win by four points. Now, like the year before, the Dogs knocked over the Tigers in the final round of the season. Dempsey had a big influence, dominating the ruck, while uh, Adrian Gallagher and Stuart McGee were also prominent. An 11-point win was a great way to end the season, which saw the Doggies back in finals for the first time in 13 years or in 256 games. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a big drought. It isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Since 61, I think, when they're in the final, when, the grand final yeah. against the Hawks. Yeah. In the grand final, then, then miss out for 13 yeah. years. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, so, lead goal kicker down at the Doggies this year was Laurie Sandilands, the captain with 50 goals. And the Charles Sutton medal in 74 went to Gary Dempsey... For the third time, second in a row. Yep. Yeah. Not bad. Nice. Uh, which takes us up to fourth spot, uh, where we have those pies. Collingwood sitting with 15 wins, seven losses, uh, and a percentage of 104.6. Now, they've got three debutantes here, all who have had sons who have also gone on to star. We've got Ray Shaw, Billy Pickin, and Peter Moore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, should say... Uh, Captain by Wayne Richardson and coached by Neil Mann, but let's talk about those debutantes. So, Ray Shaw, obviously the, the beginning of a uh, of a huge a dynasty, yeah, family dynasty, which right? is yeah, it's finished for the time being. Yeah, yeah for the time being, exactly. Yeah. Um, so he began his senior career at Preston in the VFA, where he won a, the JJ Liston Trophy in '73 for the BNF in the VFA First Division. So he joined Collingwood the next year, proving himself in the process to be one of the most damaging rovers in the league. Then we've got Billy Pickin arriving at Collingwood from MacArthur with a reputation as a useful forward, but his kicking was so wayward and lacking in penetration that he was consigned to the back line. He was a fine centre-half back with superb aerial ability becoming his trademark. Yep. And then Peter Moore, uh, as a student at Eltham High, 
He excelled in both academic and sporting events. He played for Eltham Football Club before being selected to play for Collingwood. A tall and agile ruckman with great ball skills. Yep. A very valuable pickup. Yep. Yeah. So Billy Pickin, obviously, Liam Pickin's father from Butchgrave. Yes. And Peter Moore's son, Darcy, is still playing. Still playing for the, for the Pies, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so in a topsy-turvy round one match at home against Essendon, it looked like the Bombers would end a, earn a hard-fought win at the uh, Victoria Park. Um, but the fitter Pies wouldn't give in, kicking the last five goals of the match to win by 17. New recruit Ray Shaw kicking the goal to seal the match. In round two, the Pies ruined the Hawks' housewarming party at Princess Park <laughs> by 23 points, and Cooper held Peter Hudson goalless for only the second time in his career. Yeah. Round Last three, time was like he only played about 10 minutes of the game or something like something that, like didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, round three, the Pies looked to be in cruise control against the Dogs at Victoria Park, but the Doggies roared back to life and tied scores up in time on it. It was only Peter McKenna's quick two goals in the time on, helping them to a 13-point win. Um, Len Thompson helped them to a good win over Carlson um, by three goals. Round six, they beat an inexperienced Demons team who jumped them early, but the likes of Len, Len Thompson, Graham Shepard helped steady the, uh, the Pies to win by ten points. In round seven, the Pies almost kicked themselves out of the match against St Kilda, kicking seven goals, 20 uh, by three-quarter time, but they kicked four goals in the last quarter to win by a solitary goal. Now, round nine, they took on the Tigers, who were fresh off the Windy Hill brawl, which we'll talk about soon. Yes. So they were reeling from some announcements that had been made during the week and suspensions. And the Pies were prepared for them to come out with their backs against the wall. I'm really and really ferocious. You're building up this game that we haven't talked about yet. I yeah. love this. There's a lot of spoilers. <laughs> it's great. However, a 13-goal to three first half made the game a non-contest. Uh, and the dominance continued through the rest of the game. The Pies won by 69 points. Ross Dunn and Peter McKenna both with six goals. But the biggest story out of this match was the return of Peter Greening. Oh, okay. Was the return of John Greening. Um, he led the team out, so his first game since 1972 when he got knocked out cold and into a coma. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, he had 24 disposals, seven marks, and kicked one goal one in his comeback game. Great comeback. Um, yeah, I, from what I've read, though, players took it very easy around him. They didn't go hard at him. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy who puts him back in a coma. Yeah, so <laughs> he had a really good uh, good comeback. Yeah, nice. Um, now, at this stage of the season, the whole Petura affair was happening with South Melbourne and Richmond. Oh, yes. But a lot of clubs wanted Petura, and so supposedly Collingwood offered up Peter McKenna in exchange for John Petura. Really? Yeah. Is well, this a whisper? Well, I've read this... I in think a few not, different... Yeah, and remember last year they dropped him mysteriously for the semi-final, so there's a few... Oh, that's you know, right. I don't know if he's on the outer or what, what he's done here, but they, they've kind of resigned themselves to, like, he's on his downward slope. What can we get for him? Yeah, okay. That's kind of what I'm seeing here. Yeah, trying to sort of... Yeah, trying to make hay while the sun's still exactly, shining a little yeah. bit. Interesting. In round 10, they beat the Roos in windy and freezing conditions at Victoria Park. The Pies able to grind away to a 19-point win. Um, Greening was much quieter in this game. Actually, he tore his hamstring. Yeah, and this okay. is the game where he kind of realised, oh, yeah, maybe I don't really love the game as much as I yeah. do. And he'd play you know, one more game this season. But it was kind of the start of the end. Fair enough. Well, continue at the end. <laughs> yeah. uh, in round 12, the Pies controlled the game against the Bombers pretty easily. The Bombers got within 10 points late, but Peter McKenna put the game beyond doubt with one of his five goals at the end of the game. Round 13 was a cracking game against the Hawks at Victoria Park. The Hawks hitting the Pies with everything they had. Lee Matthews battering everything he could. But Phil Manassa was one of the Collingwood players to batter backs. Back actually uh, poleaxing Matthews into the turf. The Pies absorbed the Hawks' best hits and earned a gutsy six-point win. McKenna with six goals. Um, a week later, it was McKenna with six again. Thompson with four to beat the Lions. 
Then in terrible conditions at Western Oval in round 15, the Pies beat the Dogs by eight points. In a low-scoring affair, it was seven goals to six. Uh, round 17, the, the Demons were actually the better side across the first three quarters, but sloppy kicking saw them only lead by nine points at the last change. Demon Adrian Dullard had beaten Collingwood forward Bob Hurd handily all day until Hurd break through in the last quarter to kick two goals in the last term and steer the Pies to a four-point win. The Pies beat the Cats at a muddy cut in your park because they played direct football um, around the ground while the Cats actually went through the muddy middle for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then in the round 22, lost to the Pies which was disappointing and, you know, a sad way for the Pies to end the season. They've kind of ended with three straight losses. Uh, Peter McKenna kicked his 800th league goal. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Great. We, we, well, good way for him to finish. Yeah, yes. You're, yeah. Not the Pies. Those wobbles are returning. Yeah, aren't they? Like, if you look at that, if you look at their um, win-loss, you've got 15 wins out of 22. So they were going super strong. And then they hit, what's that, about round 16. And, they and then started the, the wobbles. Yeah. Oh, it started to wobble a little yeah. bit. Interesting. Uh, so the lead goal kicker for the Pies this year, of course, Peter McKenna with 69. Uh, and the Copeland Trophy in 1974 went to Wayne Richardson for the second time. That's so captain, captain getting the best and fairest. Yes. Well done. Taking us up to third spot on the ladder, where we have the... Uh, the Hawks, Hawthorne sitting. So with, again, 15 wins and seven losses, but a far healthier percentage of 125.4. Um, so captained by Peter Crimmins and coached by John Kennedy Senior. Yeah, so um, some debutantes include Ian Scrimshaw, who's nephew of Jack Scrimshaw, who now plays for Hawthorne. Uh, Kelvin Steele, Ron Beattie and Jerry Lynn. Um, and also shout out to Dan Eddy. I mean, if you've listened to our interview with him a few episodes ago, we had a big discussion about Peter Crimmins, and if you haven't yes. read his book, I recommend reading his book uh, because we're going to be talking a little bit about that right now. Yeah. So pre-season, Peter Crimmins received a knock to the testicles, uh, which didn't go away. He kind of got a knock. He's like, oh, that's kind of hurt. That hurt. Yeah. Uh, he played it down because he was up for the role of captain, so he didn't want to appear weak. So although his uh, his testicles hurt, he kind of just dealt with the pain. Yeah. Because at this stage of in a football career in you know in, in football you were tough you had to act tough as in, in this si- generation generation's this a better way yes. to say it um you didn't want to show any sign of weakness yeah. and with the captaincy up for grabs he wanted that was his desperate goal yeah so he didn't want to make it seem like he was weak so he just kind of dealt with this dull pain didn't really tell anyone yeah yeah told his wife but didn't really tell anyone um the other big news at hawthorne is the club in the off season decided they could no longer sustain glenferry oval as a playing venue Mm-hmm. because of its size, the old sardine tin. Yeah. Um, there was even thought given to purchasing the houses along the other side of the road and turning the oval around the other way, but it proved unfeasible. Lots of research went into this and discussion. It was decided to seek a ground-sharing arrangement with another club. Yeah. Carlton, St Kilda, Fitzroy and Collingwood were interested, but Carlton offered by far the most beneficial arrangement. And so a deal was struck and Prince's Park became the Hawks' new home ground for the next 17 years. Well, Princess Park, we know from those early days, talking about like the financial position, because of the stands, the way it was set up, they seem to be making the most money at Well, Princess and we know Park, Fitzroy right? were there for a few years with yeah. them as well. Yeah, so it makes sense. And it's a great ground. Yeah, one right, of only yeah. three grounds to have to host a 1,000 games. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, David Parkin resigned the captaincy pre-season, was appointed assistant coach and playing coach of the reserves, though that's why the captaincy was up for grabs. Yeah. 
Round one saw the return of Peter Hudson. Remember, he played that one helicopter flying in game last yep. season, so he's back again. In the opening round, he kicked three goals in the game against the Tigers at the MCG, which saw the Hawks win by 16 points. Round two, though, he injured his knee early in the game and only finished with one behind, which was that game against Collingwood. Um, only the second time he'd been held goalless. The Hawks lost to the Pies, and Hudson was done for the year. God. So Michael Moncrief took over the role of full forward from Hudson as of round three. Uh, the first game was against the Swans, and he's shone. He kicked 10 goals, one. Great. Love it. John Hendry, six goals, three. The Hawks won by 69 points. Don't need Hutto. No, who needs him? Yeah. Princess Park in round four, the Hawks held the Bombers to five goals for the match, earning themselves a 26-point win in what was quite an uneventful game. Round seven, Carlton was the away team when they met their new tenant at Princess Park, Hawthorne. Hawthorne played some brilliant football early and the Blues were never allowed to get into the game. Jeff Ablett had a great one and Lethal kicked five. In round eight, in touch at halftime, the Hawks held the Demons to just two goals in the second half as they ran away to win by eight goals. Demon coach Bob Skilton ended up in a tussle with Hawk Don Scott during the last quarter. Yes, we have. Uh, this is yeah, similar to the Ron Barassi, uh, Des Hudlin one. Scott had been hurt in a clash with Carl Diderich during the third term and had been forced to don a pair of thick-rimmed glasses after losing a contact lens during the incident. Scott ignored numerous requests by his coach to leave the field, but when he finally agreed to do so, something... Uh, something was said between him and the Melbourne coach and that started a bit of a fracas. Okay. Yeah. The Hawks handed the Saints a 47-point hiding at Princess Park, adding five goals in the first 15 minutes. Adding five goals in the first 15 minutes. Uh, this match led many commentators to call for the official end of the Saints' 13-year reign as a powerhouse of the league. Okay. So this so is you, the I full... think you've called this earlier. Yeah, this is the full stop, though. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and we know they finished, what, second, third, last? Tenth. Yeah. yeah. The Cats came into the round 10 game with a plan to beat the Hawks. Wayne Kloster sat 10 metres off the rock, centre ruck area waiting for a big knock. But this was countered by John Kennedy sending Des Mar to nullify him. Heath did a good job in stopping Rex Hunt. A run of six straight goals was the difference for the Hawks, who won by 31. Uh, in round 12, the Hawks made the Tigers look second rate. In round 14, the Hawks were all over the Bombers at Windy Hill, flying away from them in the second half. Um, all the Hawks' big names were firing, Crimmins, Scott, Tuck, etc., etc. Uh, it was all, almost deja vu a week later against the Swans, where they slowly built their lead up over four quarters and eventually won by 79 points. So they are absolutely putting teams away. What did you say their percentage was? 125. Okay, so it's not huge. No, well, yeah. Yeah, it's surprising that it's... It's surprising that it's that low, actually, isn't yeah. it, when you're reading about these games. The Hawks beat the Dogs then comfortably by 21. Then around this time, around 17, um, Peter Crimmins' testicle had enlarged to about the size of an orange oh and hardened. Um, spoil, not spoilers, but warning, I'm going to talk about some stuff that's a bit cringy here. Yeah. Um, so he was actually having injections to into the growth in his testicle to numb the pain. It was, he was in that much pain, he would tape his scrotum to his leg for greater support. Wow. Um, and at halftime, he would untape and reject again and then retape. So he's going through extraordinary lengths so to play. When you're saying injecting, like someone else in. Or? Well, yeah, but someone else in the club obviously knows about this. Yeah, he's not so doing that Doc himself. Ferguson, I think it was Doc Ferguson who knew about this. So it was a select few people who knew. Okay. Um, but he still had. He just, he'd been dealing with this all, all year. Yeah. He hadn't really told too many people. There were some people who knew he was doing this, and people kind of knew he was. He had some kind of issue, but they didn't know exactly what. What it was. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah, so halftime he would do it again. He was, he was in excruciating pain. Uh, this didn't stop him having 17 disposals and kicking two goals against the Lions though, in this win. Uh, the Princess Park Derby Part 2 saw the Blues control the first half, but in the second, uh, Carlton defender Vin Waite flattened Hawthorne's David Parkin, who was carried off on a stretcher. Still playing, but not, not captain. Yep. In the third quarter, Kelvin Matthews evened up the score. Weight was flattened and Carlton seemed to lose heart from there on. The Hawks kicked 11 goals to five in the second half to earn a four-goal win. Crimmins again among the best with 22 goal disposals and a goal. Round 19 was a 25-point win over the Demons. Uh, and round 21 against the Cats at Geelong. The Cats got on top in the last quarter, winning by 40. Uh, but during the last quarter, Peter Crimmins received a forceful knock to the groin. He was carried from the ground. His shorts were cut off him. His scrotum was, scro- was swollen and black. He was taken to hospital to have it drained. And so finally... Amazingly, captain. he led the team out against the Roos a week later with more taping and more injections. How is the cat not out of the bag at this stage? He That's must have been crazy. in considerable pain, but he battled bravely. He had 14 kicks, four handballs and a 29-point loss. But at this stage, the pain was too much for him to bear and he realised he couldn't play like this. Yeah. So he had to withdraw from the Hawks heading into finals. Um... The Hawks, Michael Moncrief, channeled his inner Hudson to kick seven goals against the Saints at Waverley. Tuck was dominant as Ruck Rover. The Hawks won by 33 points. Although the signs were there early for the Saints, who were four minutes late to come out of the rooms and face the fine for that. Oh, um, but yeah, I guess Peter Crimmins is the big story here. Um, and just a reminder to any male listeners out there to, you know, just double-check yourself. Just search for lumps, and if you find them, contact Peter Mack or get in, get in contact and yep. you know, don't let it sit like Peter Crimmins has yeah. you got to get that stuff straight away yep absolutely my gosh oh, that's, un- that's unbelievable um, so uh, the lead co- goal kicker down at the Hawks was of course Michael Moncrief with 67 uh, and which is pretty good for a replacement for Hutto yeah not bad at all right and the Peter Crimmins medal went to Lee Matthews for the third time uh, so that, take, that takes us up to second spot on the ladder where we've got those kangaroos, North Melbourne, uh, with 16 wins, 6 losses and a very healthy percentage of 138.8. So captained by Barry Davis and coached by Ronald Dale Barassi. Uh, yeah. The powerhouse. We've got a debutante by the name of Shane Zantuck, father of Ty Zantuck. Oh, yeah. And another, another called Malcolm Blight. Okay. We've heard of him. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, a little bit about yeah. Malcolm Blight. So, obviously, a great man from South Australia. He made his debut for the Woodville Woodpeckers in 1969. He had a breakout year in 72, kicking 45 goals while mainly playing as a ruck rover. Sounds a little bit like uh, Ron himself mm. at this stage. Uh, he won the best and fairest at Woodville, as well as the McGarry Medal, which, of course, brought him to the attention of the VFL. And who swooped in... No North one, Melbourne. Uh, no one other than North Melbourne, of course. Mm. So pre-season, Sam Kekovich declared he's not returning to the Roos and was in talks with West Adelaide, but he was back just before the start of the season. <laughs> um, and Barry Cable returned from WA as well. So this means, Charlie, that North Melbourne currently have the reigning Brownlow medalist in Keith Gregg, the reigning McGarry medalist in Malcolm Blight, and the reigning Sandover medalist in Barry Cable, all on their team at the same time. (laughs) So the best and fairest in three different powerhouse leagues. Plus they've got Wayne Schimmelbusch, who won the best and fairest of the FA two seasons ago. Yep. So they are absolutely stacked. Yeah, and they've got a couple of other Brownlow medalists in there as well, right? Well, Yeah, they've got Barry Davis and Doug Wade and John Rantel. (laughs) Yeah. 
So three former captains. So, yeah, their team is stacked. But they had a shock loss to the Swans in round one. Barassi was reprimanded after a charge of misconduct when he abused a boundary umpire. The Roos were relentless in round two, though, against the Dogs. And although the, same, the game was close early, the Roos, with eight goals to one in the last quarter, gave them a 57-point win. Blight, Burns and Davis all had 27 disposals. Doug Wade kicked five. Round three, the Roos' $1 million side took on a Fitzroy side that was not worth that much at all. And <laughs> <laughs> went through the motions of collecting their four premiership points, Wade with seven. And then Barassi had his team back to his house after the Roos' big win against the Blues at Waverley. 54,000 people saw John Nichols equal Ted Witten's league record, but that was all the Blues had to celebrate as the Roos ran rings around Carlton. Their defenders setting up a nice 12-goal win, Wade with five. The following week was John Rantel's 200th game against the Dees, which the Roos controlled from the first three quarters. The game was well and truly over, uh, and the, the Kangaroos were 10 goals in front, so kind of took their feet off the accelerator. The Dees booted eight last-quarter goals, ah. which caused Barassi to spray his side mercilessly despite their win. I was going to say, I wonder if he's feeling any pangs of despair for the Dees just watching his team just steamroll. Mm. <laughs> Possibly not. Probably round, not. Round six, the Roos stamped their credentials for September with a thumping win over the Saints, weighed with five. It was a 93-point win that saw the Roos really put the foot down and not let up in the last quarter after the previous week. They don't want to get another spray from Ron. No. Uh, in round seven, North won the only... For only, sorry, in round seven, North won for only the second time in 10 seasons at Geelong with an impressive 31-point win. Uh, following the game, Brassy criticised the quality of the coaches' boxes at Cardinia Park after fans heckled him throughout the game. <laughs> Shouldn't be able to hear him. Yeah. Uh, round 11, they were happy to take home the points against the Hawks, although the Hawks had played the better game, except for the score, but they finished with nine goals, 21. The Roos were 14-11, winning by 20 points. Peter Crimmins apparently hit the post three times in the second quarter in oh a row. My God. They continued to bury teams, though. They had a big win over South. Their score of 28-17, 185, their highest ever score. Uh, Kekovic filled in for Doug Wade, and he kicked 10 goals, which was one off the club record. Malcolm Blight had 29 disposals, 13 marks and three goals, was best on ground. 20 of North's 28 goals were kicked from set shots, with players pulling down many big grabs in their forward 50. So, big win over South. Yeah. Round 13 was Barry Davis's 250th game as the Dogs, as North beat the Dogs. Wade was back for this game. Round 14, a depleted Carlton clung to the coattails of the high-flying Kangaroos until half-time, after which they were no match. There was an all-in brawl in the third quarter sparked by North Melbourne forward Doug Wade, who crashed through Johnny O'Connell and was mobbed by a bunch of irate Blues players. <laughs> In round 14, Doug Wade kicked 5-5 and four Kangaroos players had 27 disposals each as the Roos just outlasted the Lions at Waverley. In round 16, the Demons took a lead of almost four goals in the first change ah, yep. that made the poultry crowd of Arden Street sit up and take notice. But in the second, kicking into the wind, the Roos came back eventually, although they kept scores until the 25-minute mark. Uh, they ended up running away with the wind to win by 20, 64 points. Wade was 7, Keith Gregg inspirational. Slam and Sam was best on ground against the Saints in a nice win. The first time they had won away against St Kilda since 1961. Yeah, okay. So, also, wow. so their first at Moorabbin, but St Kilda had moved to Moorabbin after that. So round 19, North would become the first team to trial coloured shorts. So club colour, royal blue, due to the impending introduction of colour television in Australia. Hey, okay. So we'll talk about this more in the 75 episode, but yeah. Um, they did lose this to the Tigers, though, but they were they were a 
forward-thinking team. Yeah. That's what we're seeing here. Not just by their recruiting, but what they're willing to do to promote themselves as well. In round 20, they earned a 10-point win over the Bombers, despite 16-year-old Simon Madden kicking six goals. Round 21 was a day of celebration, not just because they beat the Magpies, but they notched their 15th win of the season, their best ever season since entering the league. Their score of 25-15 was their second highest ever score. It was their biggest win over the Pies, 91 points. Doug Wade was hardly needed. He kicked one goal in the first three quarters, but added a lazy seven in the last quarter. As you do. And in round 22, in the final game of the season, North took hold of the Hawks in the second half, led by Burns, Cable and Davis to kick 12 goals, 6 to the Hawks, 5-9, winning by 29 points. In this game, which we've talked about already, Charlie, Doug Wade kicked three, which meant he had kicked 1,000 goals for the season. Yes. His second goal was his 1,000th, actually. Also, he broke the record set by Sel Murray for goals kicked by a North Melbourne player. Sel Murray's record was 88. And now... Oh, in a season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're back in the finals for the first time since 1958. Fantastic. And would would be nice to knock off a team like Hawthorne coming into finals, knowing that they're yeah. pretty pretty powerful as well. Yeah. So um, it just sound, seemed like a victory lap for North Melbourne this year. There's all these celebrations with 200 games, 250 games. Well, when you've got a meek history, yeah. it's not hard to... To uh, be knocking over records, yeah. right? Yeah. So very, very good 74 for them. Of course, Doug Wade was their lead goal kicker with 103. A lot of daylight. That's including finals. Including finals, yes. Yeah. So a lot of daylight between him and Arnold Breedis, who kicked 42, but was next highest on the list. Yeah. And the Sid Barker medal in 1974 went to John Rantel. Nice. So, yeah, I mean... You'd hate to you'd hate to see that lineup of you know who's getting points in what games and stuff. It'll be pretty hard to win. Mm. So that takes us to the very tippy top of the ladder. Finishing as minor premiers this year was to the Tigers, Richmond, with 17 wins, five losses, and 129.3 percent. Uh, captain again by Royce Hart and coached, of course, by Tommy Hayfield. Fantastic. A debutante, or some debutantes. We've got Bill Nettlefold, Malcolm Brown, or Mel Brown, who father of Campbell Brown, a big bruiser from Western Australia. Yeah. Uh, David Thorpe, who was from Footscray, who was actually their captain in 73. And David Cloak. Yes. All right. So David Cloak began his senior football career with the VFA club Oakley. Obviously a tough and very skilled footballer with an imposing physique and trademark moustache. <laughs> he spent most of his career either in the ruck or as a key forward. Yeah. Um, so pre-season, Kevin Sheedy rejected a $14,000 offer to coach Subiaco and instead accepted a full-time promotions manager position at Richmond. Okay. Um, Ian Stewart pre-season announced his retirement but is talked out of it. And the, Haw- uh, the Tigers lose their opening game to the Hawks. They then kicked off their season in round two with an easy win over the Lions where uh, Ian Stewart returned to the team. They set up the win in the first quarter, kicking eight goals, nine, while holding the Lions scoreless. The final margin of 49 really flattered the Lions who kicked five goals to one in the last quarter. Round three was a rematch of the 1973 grand final. And early on, it looked like Jezzo was going to cut up the Tigers, but after quarter time, the Tigers took complete control. Um, They kicked eight goals in the second to one, Carlton rallied in the third to even it, but the reigning premiers, the Tigers, extended the lead effortlessly during the last term. Sheedy and Bartlett were dominant, and two of their Thera players in Burke and Hart both were reported for striking. Richmond captain Royce Hart received a two-week suspension, his first in league football after 142 games. Yeah, wow. 
Round four on a wet day against the Demons. The Tigers were simply better all over the ground. Uh, Richmond were led by Kevin Bartlett with 33 disposals and four goals. Uh, in Ian Stewart's 200th game against the Saints in round five, nice and poetic, the Tigers were behind early, but Alan Jeans outsmarted himself. He rearranged the team so much they didn't know who was where, and this left Wayne Walsh, Robert Lamb and Francis Burke to do what they wanted. This helped Richmond kick away, and they eventually won by 20 points. So it's like a sort of a junior league game. Yeah. Everyone's just following the ball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and this gets us to round seven, Richmond versus Essendon at Windy Hill. Okay. This uh, is what we've been waiting this for. This is what we've been waiting for. All right, so um, I'm, I'm going to read out some of this. So this is all information floating around. So Malcolm Brown was at the centre of the controversy uh, that underpinned the Windy Hill brawl. It happened in round seven. The end of the second quarter, Mel Brown cannoned into Ruckman Graham Jerker Jenkins on the wing just in front of the benches uh, in the shadows of halftime. Jenkins was paid a free kick, but Essendon officials remained unhappy. The siren rang and runner Laurie Ashley bounded towards Brown and told him what he thought of him. Gonna get down here. Players and officials and everybody into this one. Right down in front, there's the cans going over the fence. The runners are in, Andrews is in, they're all in. It's gonna be, look at this going on out here. Quinton now in the scene. And Parsons going for his life. Didn't want to be in it. Players are laid out, people are laid out everywhere. One of the nastiest scenes I've seen in football for years. Brown retaliated by whacking the runner. So Essendon's 19th man, John Casson, ran off the bench in his dressing gown and retaliated on Ashley's behalf. And then players and officials and even supporters raced in from Supporters as well. Yeah. Massive. And there's that footage of that little boy who's lost his dad who wanders on amongst it as well. You would have probably seen it. No, I don't So there's a little boy who's trying to find his dad and I think he wanders off to the policeman. The policeman's standing right next to the brawl. Uh, Richmond Ruckman Brian Roberts had his nose broken as he was helped from the ground. He was struck by a full beer can. His eye was so swollen he could barely see out of it. Graham Richmond, who is the president of uh, Richmond, his face was so swollen after he too was struck by a beer can. Essendon fitness instructor Jim Bradley was hit so hard his jaw was fractured. Other players and officials were battered and bruised. It took five umpires and 12 policemen to break up the fight. Richmond players then had to make their way up the visitors' race, which was uncovered. Uh, and doing as they as he walked off, Malcolm uh, Malcolm Brown raised his right arm in a victory salute as the crowd booed him off the ground. Mm-hmm. So Richmond won this game, but as a result, there how was do a, you even restart that game after yeah, a half? Yeah, like, exactly. Wow. Um, as a result, uh, the lead. So there's no reports. Not a single report. Not a single report. Um, so a league investigation forced four players, Richmond's Malcolm Brown, Stephen Parsons, Essendon's Jack Casson, uh, 18-year-old halfback Ronnie Andrews, and two officials, Ashley and Bradley, to face the tribunal. Um, here are the, uh, the results. So Laurie Ashley, Essendon runner, was suspended for six matches after being held responsible for starting the brawl. Yep. Mel Brown was suspended for one match for striking Laurie Ashley. Jim Bradley of Essendon Fitness Advisor was suspended for six matches for charging and striking Mel Brown. Steve Parsons of Richmond suspended for four matches for striking Jim Bradley. Ronnie Andrews of Essendon suspended for six matches for striking Brian Roberts. Graham Richmond, Richmond team manager, oh, team manager, suspended until the 31st of December in 1974 and fined $2,000 by the League Board of Directors for conduct unbecoming um, yeah. or prejudici- prejudicial to the interest of the league. Thank you. Yeah. Um, on the 18th of September, the VFL demanded that Richmond pay the final face indefinite suspension, but he they ended up dropping this on appeal. 
Jack Casson of Essendon was cleared after the tribunal found that he was only trying to assist in breaking up the brawl. Uh, as a result of a police investigation, assault charges were laid against Steve Parsons and Graham Richmond, but they were both cleared of these charges in September. So it's interesting that the only people with, who were charged with assault yeah. were uh, non-players. Yeah, and the rest of it's in the game. The rest of it's in the game, and the one with a one-match report on Mal Brown was for the original incident that caused yeah. the guy to run off the bench, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's a quote from uh, Mel Brown. And I think this has been sent to us by Moz's dad who interviewed him about this. Yes. Um, so Mel Brown, it was a pretty close game and just before halftime, Jerker Jenkins took a mark in the centre of the ground. I embellished the story that I stood with my legs over the top of him and he put his hand up and pulled my willy. I said to him, now I know why they call you Jerker. <laughs> yeah. But this actually didn't happen. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a massive, massive brawl that... Uh, yeah. Twelve cops and five umpires. Yeah, so this kind of put a stain on the season for definitely Essendon. Not Richmond as much, but this is Richmond kind of just doing what they want. Yep, they've got this you know us against everyone else attitude. Yeah, get away with whatever. Which they want. kind of is working for them, right? They're just scrappy and plus stealing all these players. So it doesn't surprise us. Then in round eight, that uh, Gareth Andrews is brought into the Tigers and Rex Hunt is sent to Geelong. So Gareth Andrews, one of their star players. Is now with the Tigers. Uh, he debuted against the Kangaroos. The Tigers earned premiership favourites. The Tigers earning the right to be premiership favourites with a win here. Um, Royce Hart showing his best for a while, and Francis Burke, Brian Wood, and KB never stopped winning kicks and applying pressure. They controlled the game all day to win by 25 points over the, you know, flag fancy Kangaroos at this stage as well. Yeah. Uh, in the next game against the Swans, Richmond kicked 11 goals straight before they registered a behind and a dominant win, 80 points actually. Uh, KB kicked seven. Sorry, KB kicked six and had 32 disposals. Round 11, the Doggies riding a seven-game winning streak then took on the Tigers in a big game at the G with a finals-like atmosphere, 68,000 people. Dogs took it right up to the Tigers for three quarters, but then the uh, players of the better ilk, like Paul Sproul, Wayne Walsh, Neil Baum, steadily for the Tigers, who kicked nine goals to four to win by 32 points. They were then their devastating best when they beat the Lions at Waverley. Um... This, they kicked the score of 29 goals, 21, 195. Um, and it was the biggest ever loss I believe the Lions had ever had up till this point. Yes. This point, um, yeah. In their 1,000th game played at the MCG between co-tenants Richmond and Melbourne, uh, the free-scoring Tigers kept their form with a big win over the Ds. The Ds did have 35 scoring shots, albeit 11-24. The Tigers winning by 63. So that's the 11, the 1,000th game. We talked about this yes. a few weeks ago when we were at the footy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. games. So it's taken from 1897 to 1974 for 1,000 games that we played. At the G. Yep. Yep. Round 15, Richmond continued their winning, winning run by downing Carlton for the third consecutive time. After being well down at halftime, the Tigers' young forward, uh, Robert Lamb, booted five goals, which was virtually the difference at the end of the game. Um, with the Saints taking on the Tigers in round 16, one of the matchups that caused the most interest was Cowboy Neil versus Mel Brown. Yeah. The Battle of the Bulge, as it was labelled in the age. <laughs> the other highlight was David Cloak, who came on for the injured Michael Green and kicked two goals within five minutes as the Tigers took charge. Uh, they won by 35. Brown kicked 2-2 and probably just won the Battle of the Bulge. Round 17 at Waverley, KB had a day out. His final stats read 38 kicks, six handballs, 
for a total of 44 disposals, two marks and two goals, two for the day. Six handballs seems like a lot. To him, yeah. <laughs> they beat the Cats by six goals. Round 18, the Tigers needed no motivation in the return match against the Bombers at the MCG. The two Kevins got the ball rolling early for the Tigers and they ripped through the Essendon defence and controlled the packs. They edged to an early three-goal lead and maintained that throughout until a seven-goal last quarter saw them win by 47. In round 19, they again beat the Kangaroos by 25 points, the same margin as earlier in the season. <coughs> and Brian Wood did well on Keith Gregg, even adding two goals later himself. Round 20 was a good win over the Pies, who made more mistakes. Round 21, the Tigers kicked nine goals straight after the Swan, against the Swans. Neil Baum was one of the... In round 21, after the Tigers kicked nine goals straight against the Swans, Neil Baum was the one who uh, kicked their first behind. and I think he received a few little Bronx jeers. Mm. Their halftime score was 10 goals, one to the Swans, two goals, 10. The Tigers did enough to win that they did let the Swans kick seven last quarter goals to make the scoreboard more respectable. Uh, round 22, the match against the Dogs was KB's 200th. Unfortunately, they didn't get the win here. Ugh. But, uh, yeah, another another solid season by Richmond. Just getting the job done, Charlie. Yeah, absolutely, aren't they? Um, so, the lead goal kicker for the Tigers this year was KB. Probably not surprising, with 47 goals. Uh, also, of course, their lead disposal getter for, the, for it. The only, only man... Oh, no, sorry, that's not true. He... I was going to say only man to play all games, but no, there's a, there were a few of them. Uh, he ki- he had 607 kicks and 40 handballs for the year. Um, and then the Jack Dyer medal in 1974, of course, went to KB as well for the fourth time. Yeah. All right, Charlie, let's quickly cross, cross to Moz to hear about the controversial 1974 Brownlow medalist. The 1974 Brownlow medal was won again by Keith Gregg of North Melbourne in somewhat controversial circumstances um, because the favourite for that year was Kevin Bartlett of Richmond. Um, Now, this is from an article written in 2014, but as soon as the count was over, Tiger Secretary Schwab and Committeeman Charlie Priestley booed and hissed. Once outside the ballroom, Joseph, the North Secretary, challenged them and he and Priestley got into a bit of a scuffle and nearly came to blows. <clears throat> it was a bit of a joke, uh, Schwab said when he spoke to Mark Sheehan. Uh, Greg did not deserve the brown line, should have been to KB, uh, but he obviously did. Um, the umpires would not have made that decision. Um, the behaviour of Richmond officials outraged the rest of the league. Uh, Terry Vine, sports editor, said that there's a sickening sensation in the gut today of Richmond's reaction to Keith Gregg's winning a second Brownlow medal last night. An outburst of sour grapes and wretched sportsmanship, not from the players, but the responsible officials. Um, I suppose Richmond would have their revenge a few weeks later in the grand final, but we'll get to that shortly. Second in the Brownlow medal was Gary Hardiman of Melbourne with 23 votes. Third was Kevin Bartlett with 22. Right, and before we do get to the finals, Charlie, would you like to know the uh, the Coles goals winner? Oh, of course. Uh, can I have a guess first? Of course. Um, I reckon it is going to be North Melbourne. It is Richmond with 365, one for oh. every day of the year. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good. All right, which gets us to finals. And before we do, what a great way to celebrate the 50th anniversary of these expansion clubs with Footscray, Hawthorne and North Melbourne all making the finals. Isn't that great? Yeah. Let's hope they can do that in a few years' time when it's the 100th anniversary. Yeah, pick it back up. The North, one, North yeah. Melbourne got a bit of work to do. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's the one we're worried about. There. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, so, into the finals then. 
So we've got our first, well, our elimination final yep. uh, between Collingwood and Footscray played at Waverley on yep. the 7th of September in front of 57,900 people. A big crowd for Waverley. Yeah, with the Dogs riding a six-game winning streak and the Pies riding a three-game losing streak. So the Dogs uh, are actually favourite here. And the Dogs went in favourites. Uh, and So within minutes of this yeah. game starting, let's not spoil, spoil no. it. Uh, minutes of the game starting, Dogs captain Laurie Sandilands flattened Magpie Max Richardson, who has flattened his face after a bone-shattering jolt. He then did the same to Phil Manassa minutes later. But the Pies were the ones who came out hot. 11 shots a goal in the first quarter, led by 17 at the break. Uh, the Pies' defence held the Dogs to one goal in the second while adding five to all but end the game by half-time. Yep. Uh, the Pies played with togetherness that involved never-ending handball, teamwork and a willingness to help each other. Standouts for the Pies were Weemouth, Shaw, Len Thompson, Peter McKenna finished with seven goals one. Yeah, wow. And quite ironic that um, Bob Rose would come up against Collingwood in the finals as well. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah it's nice. Things like that tend to happen. They do little stories. bits of little symmetries and things. Yeah. You're creating this, yeah, creating that thing. I like that. Yeah. So the final score there being Collingwood 19, 10, 124, absolutely demolishing Footscray 6, 19, 55. Uh, so taking us to that next qualifying final, final to find out who's going to play Collingwood. Uh, and it is Hawthorne versus North Melbourne at the MCG yeah, so in front of 77,500 people. For the second week in a row, Hawthorne playing North Melbourne yes. as well. Uh, the Roos were nervous before the game, and Barassi actually took them onto the grain, ground during the reserves' halftime break, which was not something that was really done then, but more often done now. This seemed to work, as well as the experience of players like Barry Davis and uh, Cable and, and the like who they brought in. The Hawks started the better team but kicked poorly. The Roos trailed by five points at halftime. Barassi wasn't happy and he moved the magnets around. Keith Gregg was great uh, only days after winning the, grand, the Brownlow medal and David Dench in defence held the Hawks well. The Roos kicked 11 goals to the Hawks four in the second half to win by 38. Kekovic with five, with five, Doug Wade with two. Nice. So a solid Very win solid. there. Very solid win. 15-13-103, taking away the Hawks. 8-17-65. Yeah. So coming into those semis, we've got Hawthorne having a rally and play against Collingwood, who are coming hot off a big win against the Doggies in front of 84,846 people at the G. And, uh, yeah, what happened there, Timmy? Well, the Hawks hit the Magpies hard with players like Lee Matthews and Don Scott making every thump and bump count. Hawks were five goals to one up at quarter time. Strange. Usually wallflowers, those sorts of guys. The Hawks were five goals up at quarter time, not five goals to one up. Um, the biggest difference from week one was the accuracy at goal, where I think, what did you say, the Hawks had kicked eight goals, 17. Eight, 17, yeah. Yeah, so they were 12 goals, seven at half time. Uh, and just all over them, Lee Matthews caused the most damage with seven goals, ruining the Pies' um, you know, shots at, at finals again. Knocking them out. Uh, the game really petered out in the second half, the final margin being 50 points. Um, what was that final score, Charlie? The final score there was Hawthorne's 21 12, 138. Which is only two points off their highest ever score. Yeah, wow. At in, this a, point. Yeah. in a semi. They get to Collingwood's 13 10, 88. So not a bad score from Collingwood, but Hawthorne just shot the lights out, basically. No, and following this, um, Collingwood coach Neil Mann quit. And President Tom Sherrin announced he would not recontest the presidency. Oh, wow. Like, we've tried. We've done what we think yeah, we can do. We, Time like, for some, yeah, something new. Yeah, and he's only been in the job for, what, two, three years? Sherrin. Yeah, you're right. Not, not no, Neil, Neil Mann. Yeah. Mann, yeah. So yeah. Mann took over from Rose. 
Yeah, yes. So Interesting. the Collingwood uh, coaching job is a bit of a poison chalice at the moment. Seems like it, doesn't and it? Wait, well, yeah, you, you just wait until the shit hits the fan <laughs> with the presidency as well. Uh, um, so moving forward? Moving forward to the second semi uh, between North Melbourne and Richmond um, at VFL uh, VFL Park in front of basically the same crowd, 57,500. The winner of this match going through to the grand final. The winner of this going through to the granny, the loser having a playoff against the Hawks in the prelim. Yes. Now let me tell you, Charlie, the weather at Waverley was ferocious. And so were the Tigers. Hey. Um, they used the wind to their advantage to race to a five-goal seven-to-nothing quarter-time lead. The first time since 1960 a team had failed to score in a quarter during finals. Wow. Which was Melbourne holding Collingwood. Um, the Roos did come back hard at the Tigers, but they just couldn't hit the scoreboard. The Roos lost by 21, kicking six goals 16, which was the lowest score of the season. Also so inaccurate. Yeah. Um, well, that, that weather, I suppose, isn't helping. Yeah. The Barry Richardson of the Tigers kicked five goals in his best game for a long, long time. But the yeah, so the final scores there being North six sixteen fifty two to Richmond's ten thirteen seventy three. So scoring shots they're only one one apart. Mm. Just accuracy. Just accuracy. Uh, so then on to the prelim where we've got the Hawks coming up against North uh, in at the G in front of eighty eight thousand two hundred sixty two on the twenty first of September. Now just prior to this game, um, Peter Crimmins had a procedure to remove his testicle mm-hmm. finally and started training again with the aim of playing in the grand final. If they made it the there, Hawks make it. yep. yep. Um, also, Peter Knights was ruled out of the prelim after being kicked in the ankle at training. Uh, so it had been raining all week again and the track was heavy again. Mm-hmm. Uh, rain started for the first time and didn't really start early on. The Hawks jumped out to kick the first four goals and then the Roos bounced right back to be well in it by quarter time. By three quarter time, the Roos had a 10-point lead but were able to add th- only three points in the final quarter. The Hawks had most of the play in the last through Don Scott, Ray Maher and David Parkin as well as the Matthews brothers, Kelvin and Lee. Don Scott scored the only goal in the last quarter. However, minutes before the siren, Calvin Matthews had the ball 50 metres out and he was quite a reliable kick. Uh, He'd received a bit of a head knock early on, so he wasn't completely with it. He took his kick to tie the game, but it fell short and was rushed through for a behind and the Ruse held on to win by five points. Huge. Yeah, so a pretty dour affair again, but obviously hard. Mm. And two pretty strong defences also there, right? A miserly game. Mm. So, yeah, North Melbourne, as you said to me, getting out five-point winners with 8-8-56, beating Hawthorne's 7-9-51. So, again, same amount of scoring shots, right? Just one, that last one. Yeah. Killer. Yeah. Uh, so, to the grand final, uh, yeah, in front of 113,839 people. Fun fact, this is the first grand final to be televised in colour as well. Hey, yeah. okay. Those not, blue, not live, but replayed. Those blue shorts. Yeah. Looking good. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, Richmond versus North Melbourne in that granny. So let's uh, let's boot up our machine and talk to Royce Hart. Um, I suggest we don't maybe don't mention the Battle of Windy Hill as well. That might be a bit of a sore spot. I think that's a very good idea. Mm. Mm. Okay. Well, uh, welcome again, Royce. Uh, it's becoming quite a habit for, for your boys. Uh, it's a habit I don't mind, guys. Uh, it's pleasing when you finish off your year winning a premiership, uh, especially now we've got the double. Yeah, look, that hasn't been done since Melbourne in 59-60, and in between there have been a lot of great teams that haven't been able to do that. 
It was the goal. It was the goal we set ourselves at the start of the year. The boys are a tremendous bunch. We ask a lot of them, and I'm terribly pre pleased that we realise now the sacrifices that we made are well worth it. Now, did you find that the break and not playing in the prelim made any difference to your training or match practice in the lead-up to today? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, honestly, I would have preferred to play right through, but we were just the best side on the day. Now, following the Brownlow count, you were almost destined to meet in that finals, it, it seems. Yeah, North was the Cinderella story of the season. Keith Gregg won the Brownlow, Doug weighed the goal-kicking, and standing in the way of the hat-trick was us, Richmond. I think that galvanised us. Yeah, the Tigers really seem to be class, cast in the role of a villain today. It was Richmond against the world today, and we won. Um, let's go into that in a bit more detail, Royce. Well, uh, Tommy addressed it before the match. He was very aware of the bad feeling towards the Cub, several incidents across the year. So he told us to make sure we shook our opponent's hands today, just a small gesture. But we wanted the general public to know that any perceived arrogance wasn't coming from the players. And we knew all the supporters who don't barrack for either club would be hoping for a North Melbourne win. But we used that to spur us on. Well, it was said before the game that North had a lot more incentive to win the match. Do you reckon that's true? Well, I guess, you know, after not ever winning the grand final, I suppose they had tremendous incentive. But I guess any side that goes into a grand final has got this, the same sort of incentive. And I know our players were very anxious to win successive premierships. You also had a few new faces in the side today that haven't actually tasted premiership success with the Tigers before. Yes, we did. Uh, Cameron playing, just playing his eighth game. Cameron Clayton. Uh, he's only 17. And there is 19-year-old David Cloak. He kicked the goal today. We had quite a few new faces around the club this year, which is good, keeps things fresh, and proves Graham's point, uh, Graham Richmond's point that everyone wants to play for this great club. Now, why did you think that Richmond could win, or would win? And leading into the match, what were the keys to that victory? Well, uh, we just felt our teamwork, our overall team strength at this stage of the year, and the fact that our players are really fit, probably fitter than they've been all year. Um, you know, we've had problems with Barry Richardson and myself, of course, and now with matches under our belt, we were right back to our best form. So, looking at today's game, the Tigers stamped their mark early on, and you, Royce, I think, were instrumental in helping the Tigers actually find their rhythm. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was able to bring down several big marks early on. Wayne Walsh and KB were in everything, and overall it was a good start. You guys seem to dominate absolutely everywhere, but you only had a six-point lead at quarter time. Yes, we felt we did control the game early on, but couldn't convert. Uh, and then you probably saw North come out and have their own turn to dominate. Yeah, so the game was really in the balance in that second quarter, and it looked as though North were kicking goals when you guys were kicking points. How important was it that you get the ball away from the centre at the stage, at that stage, with Brown, Sheedy, and Bartlett in particular? Yes, well, it, it was an important thing, and we know that North Melbourne are one of those sides, when they start running hot, everyone lifts their game, and they're a real confident side. The likes of Keith Gregg and Burns, Cable, Schimmelbush, and Slamming Sammy, once they got their run on, you can be in trouble. So, in answer to your original question, it was really important that Sprowley got the ball out of the middle. Now, it felt like it watching the game, but would you say that Mike, that Mike Green goal was a turning point? Interesting question. Uh, we could probably put that down to the clever thinking of Kevin Sheedy, taking that one-handed mark on the goalpost, popping it over the top to Mike Green. Not sure if it was a turning point, but it definitely unsettled the Kangaroos. Yeah, unsettled's a good way to describe it, actually, uh, because moments later it was that man again, Sheedy, who kicked it over to you, and uh, you kicked the steadier. 
Yep, and we had a bit of a run on then with a few goals. Uh, and I think it was at that stage you would have seen Barry Cable drop a mark, uncharacteristically. He was rattled. That was a win for us. Now, after half-time, the fitness of the team was one of the massive key contributors to Richmond taking control. Mate, how fit are you blokes? Very fit. Trained very hard even though we didn't play games. Tommy kept putting match practice into our legs, even though we hadn't played. But every training run we had, we had match practice. That probably counted up. When you have match practice four times a week for two weeks, it all adds up. The Kangaroos came out and seemed to match you goal for goal in the third quarter, as well as blow for blow. Well... Yes, they did try to match us with the physical play. Kekovic and Morris had a good little clash, as did Dougie Wade and McGee. Luckily, Bones knew, knew Wade he was after him and avoided serious damage. And that back line stood up very well and played some very steady football. Yes, they held him out. Uh, when North looked like uh, getting on top there, our back line came to the fore. And at least at the last break, they'd only gained out on our lead by a point. So within 51 seconds of the last quarter starting, you had helped Barry Richardson kick a goal, which seemed to all but shut the game down and end the game. Yeah, although Phil Baker tried to start something with me out of frustration. But with a lead in the game and knowing that I shortly would be holding that cup, not even that rattled me. And the only other thing we really wanted to mention was uh, Hafey, uh, Tommy, bringing on the 19th and 20th man today. Yeah, that was a good sign. And good on Sheets for coming off and letting Wale Roberts have a run. Uh, one of the best things about winning a grand final, being on the ground when the siren goes. Uh, so for Sheets to put his hand up and come off, that was a fantastic thing to do. Next thing you know, the siren's going and you're all hoisting Tommy Hafey onto your shoulders and swapping jumpers with North. That's always special. That's always a special time. We wanted to run around and show our thanks to all our wonderful supporters. And would you agree with our assessment that Sheets was best on ground today? I don't want to individualise. It was a team effort. I think this uh, uh, you know, told on North in the finish. Every Richmond member played his part. But to my mind, Sheeta was the man who got things moving. Well, thanks for the chat again, Royce. Uh, any final words? It's a tremendous feeling to win two in a row, and every Richmond player deserves credit. I was tremendously proud to be able to play in this one. Now we've got the chance to go on and win three flags in a row. Uh, I think this team's good enough to go on and win another one. It was a great effort. Thanks, Royce. Thanks all. All right, so some stats for that, from that game, Charlie. Yep. Um, for Richmond goals, we got Richardson with five, Hart with three, Balm, Green, Sheedy with two, Cloak, Cumming, Thorpe and Walsh with one each. Best for the Tigers were Sheedy, Hart, Sproul, Bartlett, Green, Burke, Balm, Walsh, Morris. So... A third of the team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there was another game, though. Another, actually, the Championship of Australia happened. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so Richmond went across again to Adelaide to take on the winners from around the country. Um, that was Richmond, Sturt, East Fremantle, and a representative side from the Tasmanian League, not the actual Premier in itself. Oh, okay. Richmond absolutely destroyed the Tasmanian League 233-16. to 16 in the semi-final. To 16? Yeah. Wow. Uh, with Sturt just getting over East Fremantle by nine points. And then in the grand final, Richmond absolutely demolished Sturt, 173 to 95. So really coming into that time where... Yeah. It's obvious that the, VF, the VFL is the powerhouse league of the, of the nation, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. With, with a few outstanding players and te teams occasionally in other leagues, but really... 
the VFL is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. When it's you've got where it's well, coming. especially look at North Melbourne's team with Cable and Blight playing. You're there. pulling them in exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, some other interesting notes just to finish off this season. Um, post-season, Peter Crimmins took a treatment over four weeks and everything was in the clear. Great. So he's going he's going into the 75 season thinking, yep, everything's clear. I can have a full run of this. Fantastic. We'll get more about that next season. We certainly will. Um, we talked about Doug Wade kicking his 1,000th goal. He also kicked his 100th goal in the grand final. Yeah, ended up with 103. Yep, kicked yeah. it in the first quarter. Only the second player to kick their 100th goal in a grand final, the other being John Coleman in 1950. Hey. Um, and finally, we've got... Um, some of Ron Barassi's post-match address to the Kangaroos. Um, Charlie, would you like to read that? I would absolutely love to. your best snarling Ron Barassi voice. I don't know if I can. So we should say, not missing an opportunity, Barass used the post-match at the Southern Cross Hotel to ram this message home to his players. I'm not proud today, and I hope you're... Hang on. I'm going to do that again. You're not hypocritical to yourselves. Does that make sense? I don't know. But that's definitely what he said, right? Yeah, this is just okay. cut and paste from a book. All right. I'm not proud today, and I hope you're not hypocritical to yourselves about our performance. I'm afraid some players did not show enough desire to win. Players, you just have to hate more fiercely the word defeat. Today we tasted the ultimate in defeat in the ultimate match. I hope it stays with you until next year. It's my place to say this, not anyone else's. If I sound like a bastard, it's because I'm telling the truth. Yep. And that kind of sums up Barassi, doesn't it? Doesn't and, it. And um, he's the protege of Norm Smith. Because yep. that's exactly what you can imagine him saying. <laughs> yeah, well. you can, can't you? But at the same time... He's right. He's absolutely right. Yeah. Like, you've got... There's not probably you can imagine at this time there's not a team with more pressure on them after what they've done in the preseason of '73. Yep. By pulling in all these players, by now having, um, uh, blind no yeah blindy as well. Yep. Like you've just they've the expectation is for them to get a flag, Absolutely. and if they don't. And he doesn't want them to rest on their laurels. Like making the grand final for North Melbourne is is great. That's a yeah, win yeah. in the past. But in now the... you don't want to celebrate that. You want one better. Yeah. So don't celebrate the mediocrity of coming second. Yeah. Be determined to win yeah. next year. Like keep that fire in your belly. Don't as hard as you can. Yeah. I love that. If I sound like a bastard, it's because I'm yeah, telling the truth. Yeah. It's a great line. Indeed. All right. Some other winners around. So other winners. So we got Fitzroy winning the reserves championship premiership. Great. Beating Footscray 169 to 108. This is Fitzroy's first silverware of any kind since 1944. Oh, jeez. You'd be celebrating that one. They would be there in Fitzroy. Uh, we got Collingwood as well, winning the under 19s, beating Essendon 116 to 68, and Richmond taking home the McClellan Trophy for this season. Uh, shall we wrap it up, Charlie? Yes. Let's do it. So the premier. So the winning the the premiership team was Richmond, of course, with their ninth the ninth premiership. There you go. Okay, fantastic. Yes. Um, you mentioned that the, the reserves went premiership went to Fitzroy. Do we know who the under 19s went to, Timmy? Yeah, we talked. We just talked about that. Went to Collingwood. Collingwood. Yes, and then. Did we say that? We just said that. Yeah. Oh, but my brain's off. <laughs> right, get rid of that bit. Great. Um, the wooden spooners. The wooden spooners. The D's. Brownlow medalist. Oh, that hurts me a lot. <laughs> God. Keith Gregg yeah, with 27 to, votes back to back. Back to back. The first back to back since Ian Stewart in 65-66. Um, we've got the leading goal kicker. Was, of course, Doug Wade with 103 goals over the season, 91 
in the home and away season. Absolutely. Um, we've got the highest score going to Richmond, 29-21, 195 for the season. The mark of the year was Billy Picken of Collingwood. Nice. And the rising star, my retrospective rising oh, star, yeah. yes. is, has been won by Ray Shaw of Collingwood. Okay. Yeah, David Cloak coming in second, Russell Green third. That's nice. Quite, that was a close battle. Yep. Um, premiership tallies as of 1975. We've got Collingwood with 13, Essendon 12, Melbourne 12, Carlton 11, Richmond 9, Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, South Melbourne 3, Hawthorne 2, Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. Just missing that one team. Yeah. About to get it. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> some retirees as well. Uh, yep. And there's some pretty, it's always a sad time. Pretty big names here. Kevin Bulldog Murray. 333 games, VFL games, 51 goals. Retires the league games record holder at this stage. At that stage, yep. Two games behind him, John Nichols. 331 games, 307 goals. He has three premiership flags with him, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David Parkin of Hawthorne, 211 games, 21 goals in the flag. Essendon players Don McKenzie, Jeff Pryor and Don Goss all finishing. Bob Murray and Travis Pays of St Kilda, both premiership players in 66. We've got Barry Richardson of Richmond, 277 games, 323 goals going out in style in that grand final. Jeff Ainsworth of Geelong, 135 games, three goals. Alex Ruskalich. Fitzroy, and a few games at Carlton there at the end. Yeah. Don't know why he bothered transferring. And Georgie Bissett, Footscray, and a few games with Collingwood as well. 207 games, 337 goals. Um, Charlie, would you like to do... Do we need to bother with the uh, the best name, or are we just going to give it to Bruce Duperuzel? We def... I mean, how could it be anyone other than Super Duper? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Motion passed. <laughs> right, well... Charlie, that's the end of another episode. <sighs> 74, Timmy. We're in the middle of the 70s. Yeah. Wow. It just keeps going quickly. It's nice to see North up and about. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's a good time. It's a good Seven. time. Colour foot, colour football Colour on footy, television. Yeah. Wait, well, 75, there's, there's every club changes their, uh, their, their uniforms. Shorts. Yeah. Right, love it. And colours. Oh, yeah. You know, the Demons, the Demons away jumper is now their like, 70s football yeah, jumper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Love that. So we'll get stuck into that in the next episode. Lots to talk about. I cannot wait. So until 75, Timmy, hooroo. Goodbye. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening. 